All right, this morning I'm going to have you turn to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. And when I started this series on the authority of the word, I know I told you that I was going to give you eight things that, that the word of God does. And last week I got to six, and I feel like the Lord is, is taking me uh, in another direction. So I'm going to cut it off at the six. And if that really bums you guys out that, that I didn't finish, I can give you the last two, and, and you can study that on your own. But <laughs> I know some people are like, what? You said eight. It's titled eight. Just cross it out, put six. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. But um, this morning, I, I want to get into, it still has to do with the word. So we're still in the word series, but it. I, I want to get into a place where we really evaluate, do I believe what the word of God says? Do I believe the word? Do I believe the word? And so we're going to look at, at a story here uh, in Matthew 17, and it's also in, in Mark. So I'll probably read both uh, stories because they show one sheds a little bit more light in one area than the other does. So we're going to read both of these. Uh, Matthew 17, and I'm going to pick up at verse 14. And it says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is greatly suffering. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. This is what Jesus said. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Now, I want you to understand here, he, he says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. This, that, that part is not um, so explicit in, in the book of Mark. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. So we have to look at that because when the disciples ask him a little, a little while later in verse 19, why couldn't we drive it out? In verse 20, he, he replies, because you have so little faith. So little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This kind won't leave without prayer and fasting. That's in the King James. If you have another version than that, it may not have that. They may have taken it out. But King James Version does say this kind will not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, what I want to explain to you, I want to get into a few points of this this morning, because we see Jesus, first of all, saying, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long must I stay with you? How long do I have to hang out here on earth and keep teaching you these things? Now, some people think Jesus is just all soft and lovey, lovey. Can you imagine if you're one of his disciples and he says, how long do I need to put up with you? Like, come on. Don't you remember the miracles I've been doing? Don't you remember the things I've been showing you? Don't you remember? And see, this same thing. Do you remember when I was talking about this, the word that gets planted into our heart? And it is like a seed that is planted. And I said, that the, the seed with the uh, rocky soil, how long did it last? Not long. It was a short time. 
a short time. And the reason why was because it could not get roots. Because the rocky, the rockiness was there. It could not get roots. It was a short time. And this actually is what he's saying there. He said, because you have so little faith. If you look that up in the Greek, it actually means of short endurance. The word did not last in your heart. Even though you saw, even though you, you saw the miracles that I've been performing, even though you've seen uh, all the things that I've done, but it's been short-lived. As soon as you hit uh, the situation and the situation staring back at you, your faith leaves. Your belief leaves. Now, when he's saying this, he said, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, we get the idea of perverse uh, a little off because we use it to describe someone that, that is uh, messed up in their thinking sexually a lot of times. You know, someone that's not right. Uh, in their way of thinking, and they're looking at something perverted, and we call them a pervert. But perver this, this word here, perverse generation, means wrong thinking around anything. Wrong thinking. And if you don't have that in, in, your, in your Bible, write that in, because it's so important. Wrong thinking. Wrong theology. The wrong way of looking at something. So unbelieving and wrong thinking. He's like, you haven't believed, you, your, your belief has been very short-term, and you're, you're thinking wrong. You're not looking at this situation right. So some things have to be renewed in the mind. Some things have to, yes, you need to grow in your faith, and there's some things that need adjusted in our thinking. And that's why I said at the beginning of, the, of this series, Lord, let, let my eyes become open to the things of your word, and let me not change the word of God to fit my situation, but let me change my situation to fit the word of God. Never dilute the word of God to, to, uh, to give an explanation for your situation. Never dilute the word of God. We've always got to look at ourselves and say, okay, somewhere along the line, I missed something. I didn't, I didn't hear. I didn't learn. I didn't uh, pick up the right things. I didn't uh, get enough evidence, enough understanding behind something. But it's never God's fault. Because his word is faithful and true. He can't go against his word. Let every man be a liar, but God's word stands forever, right? So he can't go against his word. And if we settle that in our mind, he can't go against his word. That he says what he means. And that's so many times it's what the problem is. We look at it and go, well, that's really, that's not what he really meant. He didn't mean that. But if we would read the Bible literally and, and, and take it literally, like he says what he means, we would go a lot further because then we would have to come back to ourselves and say, okay, how I'm thinking is wrong then. I've got to adjust how I'm thinking. And this is what Jesus was telling the disciples. Your thinking is off. Now understand this. Back in Matthew 10, let me turn it real quick. Back in Matthew 10, he gave his disciples, his 12 disciples, authority. And it says he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal diseases. 10.1. Matthew 10.1. He gave his authority. So the authority had already been given, right? But then when they brought someone to him that needed a devil cast out, all of a sudden, they didn't have the belief for it. 
It's not that they didn't have the authority. Understand, we have the authority given to us, but we have got to grow our faith at a level that trumps the situation. Because there's at four different times that he, he says in scripture, you have little faith, you have little faith, four different situations, you have little faith, and we're going to read through those. Because I want you to see what he's trying to say in the, because we can learn how not to be through the scripture. We can, sometimes we, we learn uh, how to be, but then we can also learn how not to be. Sometimes we can look at a situation, I've, you know, used examples as the kids have grown up, uh, as they've seen people, you know, uh, do certain things in life, and, and I'm like, well, you know, that's because when they, when they were young, they never learned, you know, this concept. They never learned how to do this. They never learned self-control. They never learned self-discipline. They never learned to push themselves. They never learned to respect authority, and so they don't respect uh, God as their, their father and their authority. They didn't learn. So there's things that we can, this is a 40, 50, 60-year-old person that, that is just like a child that didn't learn this when they were young. So we've got to learn things in the scripture. We've got to learn by, by even observing what not to do. So we want to learn from this. this the, the disciple said, what did we do wrong? Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, unbelieving and wrong thinking, wrong thinking. And he said, this kind doesn't come out by prayer and fasting. And, you know, the more I, I study this scripture, the more I am convinced, because I've heard a lot of people preach it, and, and they preach it like this, that the demon doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. But if you study this scripture, every time he refers back to faith, it is faith, it is faith, it is faith that's the issue. So when it says this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting, faith is what has to rise in order to elevate to a point that it understands its authority to cast out the demon. Because what I want you to understand, flip over to Mark, because here's the other... Um, Mark 9, here's the other story of the same, the same situation. Verse um, 17. It says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him onto the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, and comes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus replied, if you can, he's kind of... <laughs> He's kind of responding like, seriously, like, 
If I can do anything, this is like a slap in the face. Are you serious? If I can? And he, he's, he's kind of putting, again, wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. It's not if I can. He says, I can. I can. And he says, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now understand, what did he not say? He did not say, help me overcome this devil. He did not say, help me overcome this spirit. He said, help me overcome my unbelief. My unbelief. As soon as we get the understanding and the revelation that we have authority over devils, over spirit. As soon as we understand that the power that lives inside of us is greater than that of the world. When we get the revelation, then we are no longer intimidated by the things of the world. And the situation no longer moves us. It no longer, it, put, it doesn't put us in a place of fear. It doesn't put us in a place of reacting to the situation. We react and respond according to what the word of God says about us. So we've got to, to come to a place where we have so much word built up on the inside of us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, out of, the, out of what has been stored up in the heart, that's what will come out. And if it's been stored up, it comes out natural. If you have, uh, if you've been in a position where um, a lot of love has been shown to you in your life, then it's not as difficult for you to naturally be loving to someone else. But if you've been kicked around and if you've had a hard life, if you've, if you've had a difficult life and you've had to build up some walls in your life because of how people have treated you, then the things that tend to come out are the, the defenses, the things that, that uh, you've learned to protect yourself, the anger, the frustration, the, the pride, the things that have been uh, built in there because of what you've experienced in life. Because that's what's been stored up in your heart. But we have to take those things out and replace it with the word of God. Storing up the word of God. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, what that means is as a man thinks in his heart continuously, as a man continues to think on these things, as a man continues to look at these things and see these things and meditate on these things and, and think of these things and speak those things out, that's what's going to come out. So is he. So we have to watch what we are continually thinking about because I can sit there and say that your confession of faith, your confession of the word will move mountains. But the thing is, if, if you're just repeating it, but it's not in your heart, then it's, it's, it's empty words. Does that make sense? And that's what I mean when I say that there's a difference between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. When it comes out of you because it's been stored up in you, then it's coming out of your spirit man and not out of the flesh because it's been stored up in the spirit. 
You've been storing it up in the spirit. You've been growing your spirit man. You've been making your spirit man strong. You've been, you've been lifting those spiritual weights by getting the word of God in you, meditating on it, thinking about it, making it personal for you and your situation. And that's the thing this morning. We've got to make it personal. See, what happened here is you had some disciples that were given some authority, but all of a sudden they had to make it personal. It's so easy whenever we're sitting here in the congregation with, with 50 people, 30 people, whatever, and we're, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, and, and we're not being singled out because we're sitting here as a collective group. And then what happens all of a sudden when we get singled out and we get challenged? Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my faith is getting put to the test here. My faith is all of a sudden, what, what, what's, what's in me? That's that pressing. That pressing of, in the, in the strain of the situation, what's going to naturally come out of me? And what will naturally come out is what we've been putting in. So we can't at the last moment get ready to go, okay, uh, scripture, scripture, where's my phone? I need to Google scripture. Scripture for having a hard time. <laughs> because the thing is, it, it's not going to, it, it might bring you to a place of encouragement at that moment, but encouragement is to encourage, but it's not a, necessarily a place of victory. It might encourage you to stay in there, don't fall back, keep going, keep making the steps, keep moving forward, but it may not necessarily be a place of victory because it's like last minute scurrying to survive. So building up of the word of God is so important. And these, these men here, Jesus was training them, you know? And, and so it's like when they hit a situation where all of a sudden their faith is put towards the test, it's like, uh, your disciples, I asked them to cast this out and they, didn't, they couldn't do it. And of course, I'm sure it was very shaming for them. I'm sure they were embarrassed, you know? And behind closed doors, they go back to Jesus. Jesus, why? why, why what happened? Why couldn't we? And he said, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting, Building up our faith to the point that we know that we know who our God is in our life. Not who our God is somewhere else. Who our God is working in our life. Just like the scripture I, I went over last week. That he can do more than what we ask or imagine. He, but it's what according to the power that is at work within us. Within us. It's not him in heaven striking things down as we pray. It's at the, according to the power that is at work within us. Within us. And as we're working that, as we're working at our salvation, as we're growing our faith, then, then we're able to work those things into our life. You know, I was listening to a preaching uh, this week uh, by uh, Dr. Bill Winston. And he was saying, you know, the same thing that, that I've said so many times, how the enemy came in to deceive Eve, but he, he was trying to tell her, no, God didn't give you everything. The wisdom that you're really searching for, you don't have. But the thing is, what God did, everything that Eve needed to be prosperous, to live life, to be successful, you know where it was hidden? It was hidden right on the inside of her. He put it in a hidden place. That's why the enemy comes after you. 
because it's on the inside of you. The glory of God is on the inside of you waiting to come out. The Bible says that the earth is waiting for the manifestation of the children of God. And it's not just meaning at the return of Christ. It's waiting. It's waiting for now manifestation of God to actually be coming out now. We are to manifest his glory now. That's why it says we are changed in his presence from glory to glory. That we are changed into his likeness. We are to shine the glory of God. And that's not just love and peace and, and patience. Oh, that person's so loving. Oh, that pe- person's so... Yes, those are, those are important. Because if we don't shine those, then people have every right to, to uh, question who we really are in our character. Because if we're walking around, uh, you know, flipping people off and, and, and acting like a total jerk towards the world, then, then people have a right to question, uh, really? Are they Christians? They said they were, but I'm not so sure. Because he says, by your love towards one another, that people will know that you're my disciples. So it's the fruits of the Spirit that come out of our life that draws people to the goodness of God. But it doesn't just stop there. He wants the power of God to flow out of our lives too. He wants us to walk in victory. Why do I preach so heavily upon this? Because I want the church. I feel such a responsibility to the church to not just pray for you to help you overcome things, but to give you the weapons so that you can stand yourself. Because it's not fun to have to be dependent and wait on someone else. It's like not having a vehicle. You know, it's like, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And everything's very limited until someone comes to my rescue. Until someone comes and gives me a ride. Until someone is able to take me from here to there. I'm trapped. I can't do anything. And that's kind of what it's like. If we don't know how to apply the word of God in our life, then we're kind of like the person without a vehicle. We're just kind of a sitting duck until we, we are able to get someone else that knows those things and can pray with us or over us or for us. So it's important that we grow. And sadly, sadly, this is oftentimes why people find themselves in a situation where they're deathly ill, they they have a, a terminal disease, and then at the last minute, they're trying. But the thing is, once that happens, it's a very, very difficult thing to build your faith up in the middle of the storm. It really is because you're dealing with the, the effects and the, the, uh, the, um, the pain of the flesh at that moment. And so not only when you are sitting here now and you can hear the word of God and you can go home and every day you can spend time in the word of God and get it in you, then you're building up your spirit, man. And you're, you're strong, but you're not having to fight against the disease at the same time. But if you are weak and you get something and then it's extremely difficult to try to build yourself up. It's like if you yesterday would have tried to go to the gym and lift weights with a fever, you know, it would have been like, oh, I'm done. You know, it would have been like two, two thingies. (laughs) Can tell I haven't been to the gym for a while. So it would be like two reps or two, uh, two squats and be like, I'm done. I'm, I, I, I've maxed out. 
But if we will grow ourselves little by little, day after day, day after day, growing our spirit man, then when the enemy tries to come against us, then we're like, uh-uh, no, that is not mine. Because you've already built yourself up to a point to know what is yours and what is not yours. What is your right in Jesus Christ? What, what is your inheritance as a saint and what is an, an attack of the enemy? Because if you don't know how much God loves you, then you will think that things sent from hell came from God. There's a lot of people that believe that. Well, God's just testing me right now. God's just giving me a, you know, this, and I'm going to, you know, hopefully be able to help someone else in the same way. But things that are bad are not from God. And as a result... That is like the first debunking right there that we've got to get through or we will receive anything that comes our way. And, and, and in our mind, we try to figure out like, well, the reason uh, I'm dealing with this, if we don't know the word of God, then we'll say, well, the reason I'm dealing with it, it must be God. God won't tempt me more than what I can bear. You know, and we'll come up with crazy stuff that doesn't fit the scripture. God won't give me more than what I can bear. He didn't give it to you to begin with. And so he's not giving you something to see how much you can bear. He's not giving you, he's not giving you things from hell. If it doesn't exist in heaven, it didn't come from God. There's no sickness in heaven, so it didn't come from God. There's no poverty in heaven, so that did not come from God. Hello. Think of it. There's no poverty in heaven. What, what are the streets made of? Old. What are the gates made of? Pearl. And every foundational stone is, is, a, is a type of, of, of uh, like sapphire and different types of uh, beautiful stones, topaz. Like all these stones that are beautiful. God is rich. It's all his. It's all his. But there is not... A homeless person in heaven. Hallelujah. There's no homeless people in heaven. There's no one begging for bread. There's no one begging and, and, and looking to see when is my, my next meal coming? When is, when is, you know, when am I going to have this, this lame leg healed? There's none of that in heaven. So we have to change our thinking. Change our thinking. Get rid of, our, my old pastor used to say, get rid of your stinking thinking. <laughs> get rid of the wrong thinking. When we change our mind and our understanding and renew it according to the word of God, then we're on the right path. Then we can begin to move forward. Then we can begin to excel and move into that area. But if, as long as we keep the wrong thinking, we will never excel. We will never move forward in that area. All right. Jesus, where do you want me to go? All right. So the, the word of God, it lasted a very short time. When the situation came, it was short-lived, and all of a sudden, boom, uh, I don't know about this anymore. And then it says, it says that he rebuked them. He said that, that they were dull of hearing. Actually, what that means, you have little faith and unbelieving, it, dull of hearing the Lord's voice and not interested in becoming intimate with him. Ooh. 
I'm telling you, church, we, we have to grow some spines. Because there are times when the Lord may speak and say, girl, you're not in the word enough. And we got to be able to say, okay, I'm sorry, Lord. And not be like, well, I don't like that pastor. They, they rubbed me the wrong way. Because we've got to be ready to receive what God has for us. And that's why I, I pray for soft hearts. Soft hearts. Because I, I'm responsible and accountable to this. I'm responsible and accountable to preach the word of God. And I pray, God, let people receive you. It's not me, you. Let them receive it from you. Let your word come alive in them. Let your light shine their heart. Let, Lord, you change and mold them. Let them know that it's your Holy Spirit speaking to them. Because I got to do the same thing. Because if the Lord gets on to me for something, I got I to gotta be willing to change too. I have to be willing and be accountable to what the Lord says to me. So that, that word, dull to hearing the, the voice of God and to be disinterested in walking with him intimately. That's actually what that means. Ye of little faith. Ye, uh, that that you're, you're, you're not willing to change your thinking. And so we've got to be willing to change our thinking. Let me, let me just run down through a few of these. I'm not going to have you turn to every single one. But the other four situations where Jesus says, ye of little faith... Matthew 6, 30, when, when he is talking about the lilies of the field. And he says, you know, you worry about tomorrow. You worry about all the things of tomorrow, of what you're going to eat and how you're going to, or what, what clothes you're going to have and da, 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 da. He said, I dress the lilies of the field and, and, and they are better than Solomon's splendor. So why? Why would you worry? Why, why are you concerned about tomorrow? And what he's saying is you have little faith. Why are you worried about the things of tomorrow? And what he's saying here in this situation are our personal things. If we don't believe that God cares about ourselves personally, and there are people that think, well, it's just little me. He doesn't care about, you know, my, my silliness. He only cares about the big things. God cares about you in every detail of your life. You know, we were at meetings uh, this past week with uh, Brother Ted Shuttlesworth, and, and, you know, he's got an amazing um, gift of being able to give a, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom over someone, and, and he can call out things um, like in your, in your uh, living room, there's a dresser, and in that dresser, you can pull out the drawer, and there's such and such in there, and that paper you just wrote this week, and you were concerned because you wrote this letter, da 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 like, like to, to a point that no one else would know. Now, do you think that God doesn't care about the details of your life? The little things, if he looks, God, God is not like up there going, oh, my answer's only 24 hours in a day. How am I going to get to all of these things? He created the 24 hours in a day. He created the seasons. He created the opening of the day, the closing of the day. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. He knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. 
And if we stop and think, he cares about even the clothes on our back, the food we're going to eat at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He cares. And he wanted, he wanted to debunk that right there. That I care about the little things. Ye of little faith. Ye of little faith. Meaning, you got to change your thinking that I don't care about the little things. Is pretty much what he was saying. Grow your faith. Change your thinking that I love you. Change your thinking that I care for you. Change your thinking that I'm concerned about the things that, that are going on in your life. I have a plan for you. You are my child. I created you, and I love you. So many times we've grown up in, in homes where we haven't experienced the true love of God. And as a result, it affects how we see our Heavenly Father. You know, I'll tell you this story. When I, I had an encounter about the age of 18, I, I was at um, a camp. And honestly, I, I wasn't prepared to go to that camp. I was working that summer, and at the last minute I applied, I was on a waiting list. Someone at the last minute backed out. They called, the, the spot came open, do you want to come? And I had a decision, because I was on the schedule to work. And fortunately, I worked for my dad. <laughs> but, <laughs> for my grandpa's business. But dad said, yeah, go ahead and go. We'll, you know, make sure it's covered. And so anyway, Honestly, I probably didn't even have to cover it. I was building bikes in the garage for all summer. That's, that's it's stocking shelves. They probably could do without me for a week. It probably really wasn't that important. He was probably just giving me a job to learn how to have work ethic. But I went to camp, and, and that week, God had a, a divine encounter for me that week. And if I would not have chosen to go, I would have missed it. I would have missed it. You know, every time we come to the house of God is an appointment with God. And we got to be ready to receive and ready to be in his presence and ready to say, God, what do you have for me today? This isn't a social club where we just come and just hang out and, and you know, kick back. It, it seriously is an appointment with God. It is a, a time that we say, Lord, what, what do you have for me today? How do you want to speak to me today? How do you want to encourage me today? What do you want to change in my thinking today? How is it that you want to reveal your word to me today? And I had that moment where I went up, and, and I don't even know who was preaching. I don't know what the word was about. But boom, he comes by, lays his hand on me. I'm on the ground. And the thing is, what happened in those, I don't know how long I was there, honestly. I, I laid on the ground of that tent on, a, on, on the grass. Thank God it wasn't Hawaii or it would have been uh, centipedes crawling on me probably and roaches. But it was in West Virginia, so it wasn't that bad. But I was laying there. And God was like actually giving me this vision of, of him and his relationship with me. Because I had grown up thinking that God only loved me if I did everything right. And I grew up not, not thinking that God, that I had to earn my way into his love. And if I did so many good things, then, then because I felt good about myself, then that must mean God loved me. That's pretty much what it was based on, how, how good I felt about myself. 
then God must love me because I feel pretty good about what I've done. And then if I messed up, then God, God hates me. I'm going to have to do so many good things until I feel good about myself again for God to love me. And this is pretty much how my relationship with God went. So I never felt that I could go pray for him or pray to him unless my relationship was good. So all of these messed up theologies in my head, when in reality, what would have saved me was to go pray to him and be close to him in the times that I wasn't feeling close to him. I needed to draw close to him. But the thing was, because of my messed up understanding, then I was only getting further away. And God gave me this vision, and in the vision, I didn't see his face, but I saw this huge form, and he was sitting out in this great big field, and it was under this huge oak tree, and he was just sitting in the grass. And, and like I said, I, I could see from here down, and it was just this massive uh, figure. And, and he was saying to me, and at, in my vision, I was like six years old, and, and he was saying, Randa, come play with me. Randa, come, let's play a game. Let's do something fun. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but to me, it changed my whole revelation of God because I didn't, I didn't have that understanding growing up. I didn't have the understanding that my heavenly father wanted an intimate relationship and actually wanted me to have fun. Because I grew up kind of a, a no-nonsense kind of home where it was, uh, you know, strict. And so I didn't have those moments of, of understanding, like, that joy was okay and laughter was okay. I mean, I'm not saying that they said, you can't laugh. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, you know, hurry up, get done with your story and be done. You know, it was just like no-nonsense kind. Hard work, 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 work. You work for everything. You can't, you have to earn everything. Earn it, earn it, earn it. You know, just very. <laughs> but when God wanted to, to play a game with me, and growing up, that was my thing. Like, I love board games. Like, that was my, that was my love language. Like, I felt, like, I enjoyed sitting down and playing board games with people and playing, you know, that was, that was my fun time. And so God knew exactly what to speak to me. And he was like, let's play. Let's have fun. And it was like I was sitting on his lap and he was just loving me. One encounter, one moment, one moment changed my perception of who God the Father was from that point on. And if we don't understand the truth See, it's the truth that sets us free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If we don't understand the truth, we will live under the bondage of the lie. And God is saying here, I care. I care about the little things. I see. I see the little things. I see every detail of your life, and I care about that. Let me give you just one more, and then we'll close. Another, another point when he said, ye of little faith, was in Matthew 14, 31, when Peter wanted to walk on water because he saw Jesus do it. Jesus is coming out. They think it's a ghost. 
And then Peter, he's like, no, it's just me. Don't be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, call me out too. Let me do that. I want to do what you're doing. And he's like, come. So Peter steps out, and he's doing fine at first. He's walking. Yes, I'm doing what Jesus is doing. Look at this. And then, boom, all of a sudden, he looks at waves. Again, situational. Situational. He was doing fine. And he looked at the situation. He looked at the waves. He looked at the storm. He saw the massiveness of nature in the natural, what it looked like. And then all of a sudden, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he's like, Jesus, help me. And, he, and Jesus saves him, pulls him up. But he says, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You were doing it. Why did you doubt? Why did you allow the situation to get your focus? That's why he's called our daily bread. Because we got to be in that daily. We've got to purpose in our lives to make sure that we're getting the word of God in us every day. Last week's bread is not enough. Last week's meat of the word is not enough to sustain us. You tell me that if, if you think that, that you can eat last week and then still be full of strength today. That's not happening. You go about five, six hours and you're already hungry. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Because that's your flesh. But in the spirit man, it's no different. We've got to feed our spirit man in order to grow strong. But G what was Jesus saying there too? He was saying, I want you to do what I do. I can't. Many people think, well, they don't want me to, you know, I have to be super, super spiritual to be able to, to do anything Jesus did. I have to be called into ministry. I have to, you know, da, 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 da. No. Jesus is saying, if you only believe, if you only believe, what did he say about the fig tree? When he saw a fig tree, he was hungry. He went over to because it had leaves. And what, what that meant was the leaves meant with the leaves came out, the figs should have already been on it because the figs come out before the leaves do. So he sees that fig tree, goes over, ah, it's a fake. It's an imposter, pretty much. It was, it was actually a sign of Israel at the time because many people would not receive Jesus Christ. They had all the look but they wouldn't receive the Messiah. What did he do? He cursed that tree. He said, let no one eat from you ever again. And that thing died the next day. So when they come by it, the disciples are like, Jesus, look, that thing died already. How did that happen so quick? He said, you can do the same thing. Anything that you say, anything that you believe in your heart, and yes, little friend, you believe it, it shall be done. Meditating on that scripture alone would be worthwhile. Anything, anything. It doesn't just say, oh, no, only the things for the pastors or only the things for apostles, only, only the big things in your life, only the, you know. No, we can let, let the enemy get in our heads sometimes and throw in suggestions that are not biblical. But if we don't know the scriptures, we'll, we'll allow it to plant that seed and then we'll allow it in our heart and then we'll be spewing that out of our mouth. We've got to study the scripture. So many people just say nonsense because they don't 
know the scripture. They don't know the word, and what they've done is just regurgitated something they've heard. They've heard this be passed down. They've heard uh, someone else say it. They've heard, and it sounds all spiritual, but it's not scripturally based. And as a result, they fall into the bondage of that lie. Let me wrap up with this. The Bible says in, let me make sure I get this right. Don't want to quote you the wrong scripture. Romans 14. If you read the whole 14th chapter of Romans, it talks about uh, not being a stumbling block to your brother, but also if your brother has a problem um, with, with a certain law. And, and what he was saying in the example he was using here was if a man believes that eating food or meat that had been sacrificed to an idol, because that was part of the old law. If it had been sacrificed to an idol, then you weren't to partake of it because you weren't to partake of that which had been sacrificed. So they weren't supposed to. But because under the new law, we are under grace, not under the law, not under bondage. We know that that thing doesn't have any hold on us. Let's say that there's a man that understands that revelation, and then there's a man that does not. So he's still living under the old law. But the Bible says, he says, don't make your brother stumble because what he believes in that, he has put himself under the old law. And by doing that, then he is responsible to that law because he is not living in faith. And as a result, it's considered sin because that's what he's living under. When we don't get a revelation of something, then we automatically put ourselves in the bondage of that thing. So in order to come out of bondage, we have to get the truth. We have to get the revelation. We have to get the understanding of the, the real word of God. The real word of God. So this week, as you're reading, you know, we're, we're getting ready. This is uh, actually our time of uh, prayer and fasting. It's the beginning of the month. Um. Second, third, and fourth. We typically do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But what I want you to do this time, because I feel like sometimes things can become so traditional and so uh, routine that we lose the purpose. And we lose uh, what it is that we're really supposed to be focusing on. Because the focus is not to just go without food. The focus is is to grow. The focus is to build our relationship with the Lord. So rather than focusing on, you know, I'm going to go all three days, what I want you to do during this time of fasting and prayer, over the next three days, one meal. Now, if, you, if the Lord speaks to you to do differently, do differently. But as a guideline, this is what I'm saying, one meal. But during that one meal, Put all the time, give at least God one hour of that that you would normally be preparing and setting down and eating. Give God that hour. 
and get in the word and begin to meditate on the scriptures of God. Get, get his word in you and begin to digest the word of God and begin to just meditate on, on his love for you and his relationship with you and what he has for your life. Grow your relationship with him because this is not a religion of just doing things. This is not just walking out uh, traditions. This is about you and God and your relationship. There's power in knowing him. Those that know their God shall do mighty exploits. Those that know their not know about their God, not have been able to uh, repeat some things about God, and not uh, those that have heard some things and, yeah, they have some good um, flowery, poetic things about God, those that know their God, again, intimately, they spend time with him and allow him to reveal things to their heart and to their spirit. So during that time, find a quiet place. I'll give you a, a few instructions. Find a quiet place. Get alone. Find a time that's quiet. Don't try to squeeze it in between, you know, uh, I've got 15 minutes. No, f find some time where you can just sit down and get with God. And don't try to just fill it up with, okay, I read 72 chapters this hour. No. <laughs> it's not about reading so much that you don't retain. I tell people sometimes, I would rather you read one scripture, meditate on that scripture, and get it in you, and let the Lord reveal that scripture to you. Then I would come back and say, I read 50 chapters, and I don't really know anything. Or it didn't mean anything to me. Or I read it and my mind was really on the grocery list. Or on the things I had to do tomorrow. I would rather you meditate. Which means get your pen and paper. Get your journal. Get your notebook. Sit down. And, and if nothing else, go through the Gospels. Pick a Gospel. Read the Gospel of, of you know, any of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read it and, uh, and let Jesus come alive to you. Think of you in that situation, that, that, that same woman that went through that, that's what he wants for me. That boy that went through that, that's what he wants for me. When he provided for them all the fish, and that's what he wants for me. When he healed them, when he loved them, when he showed compassion, that's what he wants for me. Make it personal, and then write things down. And I'm telling you, this is key. Think. 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 This is where a lot of people, this is, this is the, the bad thing about the American culture. We don't want to think. We just want to do, do, run, 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 do, do, do. I mean, it's just like inoculated with all kinds of just distraction. And we don't think about the word of God and what it is saying. You'll get some, some mighty revelation by just stopping and thinking and saying, Lord, speak to me about that. What does that mean? Allow your mind to like actually think about these things and, and let the Lord open some things up. And don't just shove something out. Like if it says literally something, then take it for that. Don't, don't try to water it down. Like take it for that. If it, if it says that ye shall do greater works than this, then take that. Say, I shall do greater works. Begin to confess those things over your life. 
that I am this. I am that. I am a child of God. He does love me. I tell you, it might sound funny coming out of your lips at first. But if you begin to say it, you realize like how much it starts getting in and he starts building your esteem around his identity and who he is. I am loved. I am his child. His eye is on me. He cares about me. He cares about the details of my life. He does care whether or not I'm, I'm prospering. He does care whether or not I'm successful. He cares about my family. He cares about my children. He loves me. He is passionate about me. When you do this and make it personal, it changes your relationship. So you guys do that this week? One meal and then focus, focus, focus. 